Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Baltasor. And today, we're going to be previewing the Cats' first Big 12 matchup between, obviously, K-State and the Oklahoma State Cowboys. This will be a matchup being held down in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and it is a much-anticipated matchup for several reasons. Firstly, both teams escaped conference play with a perfect record, or escaped non-conference play, excuse me, with a perfect 3-0 record. But there is a lot of questions in regards to both teams' legitimacy, especially in the coaches' poll for K-State and in the AP poll for Oklahoma State. But before we go into the now, let's look back at the past to see if we can draw anything of what this team is now. Now, looking at their 2020 stats, they were an 8-3 team with a 6-3 conference record with 2,060 rushing yards, averaging 4.1 per carry, with 17 total rushing touchdowns, with 2,635 passing yards at a clip of 7.73 yards per attempt, 10 interceptions to 18 passing touchdowns, a 68.7% completion percentage, a third down percentage of 42.2%, 26 sacks allowed, an average of 30.18 points per game. So essentially what all of those numbers, numbers, numbers means is that they were an efficient offense last year, both on the ground and through the air, which for a number of reasons, which we'll go into later, we're not sure if that is necessarily sustainable, but Connor is here to cover the defensive numbers from last year. Yeah, so last year on defense, they averaged 23.45 points per game. They gave up 2,408 pass yards and 18 passing touchdowns. They gave up 1,761 rushing yards and 13 rushing touchdowns. In the red zone, they gave up they gave up 17 touchdowns to 29 attempts. Which is just under 50%. I'm not doing that math right now, but yeah. And then they got six interceptions, which is a little low, honestly, for 10 games. Mm -hmm. And then they got 10 fumbles recovered, which is a little high, high. for it's 10 games. It's ridiculously high. Yeah. For some reason, they have this weird proclivity to force fumbles. Yeah, it's kind of a common theme that we'll uh, come to notice as we look through their stats. Uh, they had 33 sacks on the year, which is actually very good. That's uh, 3.3 a game. And their turnover differential was an even zero. So, yeah. So on both sides of the ball, they were relatively efficient last year, and they're bringing back a couple of key pieces, including their starting quarterback from last year, Spencer Sanders, the spellback for Chuba Hubbard, who may not even see the field this year, uh, Derman Jackson. They bring back their leading tackler in Malcolm Rodriguez, Colby Harvell Pool, Harvell Peel, excuse me, their INT leader from last year and Jarek Bernard Converse, their new cornerback one, at least I assume, because he was playing like their cornerback one both this year and last year. But just because they're retaining a couple of key pieces does not mean that they did not lose any. And they lost quite a few. Yeah, they got absolutely decimated uh, in the draft and undrafted free agents. Uh, one of the highlights of their team last year is gone, Chuba Hubbard. Uh, their star running back and went into the season as a Heisman contender. Ended up disappointing a little bit, but still had a very good season. He was their leading rusher 
and he got drafted, I believe, in the fourth round. And then yeah, somewhere around there. Tylen Wallace, he was their leading receiver, and he was drafted as well. Then Tevin Jenkins, he is a uh, tackle for the, uh, or he was a tackle for the Cowboys, and he was taken just outside of the first round, as I recall. He was projected to go first round, but he should have gone first round. He was ridiculously good. Yeah, he was. Very, very good on the offensive line for the Cowboys. Uh, Kansas product, too. Yeah. Yeah, he is. And he left a gaping hole uh, to fill on the offensive line. Then uh, Dylan Stoner, uh, their second-leading wide receiver behind Tylen Wallace. He was picked up in free agency. Then Calvin Bundage, their uh, sack leader last year, he was also undrafted. And Rodarius Williams, a corner from last year, was an undrafted free agent as well. So some pretty serious losses uh, through uh, the NFL draft and otherwise uh, to their production from last year. Yeah, and even if Chuba Hubbard was disappointing last year, Tylen Wallace and Tevin Jenkins are their biggest losses on the offensive side of the ball because Tylen Wallace earned a nickname, and he had that nickname for a reason. He was the most violent man in college football that wasn't actually a criminal. He would absolutely decimate people in both pass blocking and run blocking reps, but he's not there anymore, so we don't have to worry about him. And in part due to those losses and maybe not as many contributions that you would think from their previous contributors, they've sort of limped out of the start, which you wouldn't know if you purely looked at their record. They're 3-0 and going into the game, as I said earlier. But they've played everyone that they've played close, which sounds fine when you hear about it at first. Then you realize their games were against Missouri State at home, Tulsa at home, and then their only good victory, which was at Boise State. They managed to beat Missouri State 23-16, Tulsa 28-23, and Boise State 21-10. None of those were particularly high-flying offensive performances, And there are a lot of times on defense where I truly tell you this from the bottom of my heart. Watching the Oklahoma State games this year have been some of the most painfully boring experiences that I've ever had. Because in Boise State, the score did not change after halftime. In the Missouri State game, they they got three points the entire second half. And Tulsa was the only game that they got more than three points coming out of halftime, where they scored 21 in the fourth quarter. But the point is, they played all of these teams really close, and their stats reflected as well. Yeah. So as we now, as we now know, they're three and zero so far. They uh, limped out of non-conference with a uh, a three and zero record, and then uh, they have 440 rush yards so far. Over half of that is from a single game performance from Jalen Warren yep. against Boise State. Uh, they're averaging 3.4 rush yards per attempt, which is not particularly great. Not in college, nope. Yeah, definitely not in college. Then um, pass yards, they're averaging 500, or they've gotten 578. Oh my aver- god, averaging 578 yeah. a game? Yeah, they're averaging 7.3 yards per attempt. They have six rushing touchdowns. Their third down percentage is 44%, which is a little bit above average through three games. 49th in the nation. Yeah, so not too shabby there. Um, They're getting 24 points per game. Uh, They have 72 points for their team, 59 points against them. It's a really thin margin there through three games. Uh, They're plus one in turnover differential, and they have 11 sacks through three games. Yeah. 
So, in terms of stats, they look like a painfully average team. And as we go into the film notes here, uh, we'll go into the first game, which is Missouri State. We'll go into the stats for this specific game first. But I will also say that uh, I will personally apologize for not having the alignment numbers whenever they come up. Because as much time as I have on my hands to watch game film, I realize that I don't have enough time to meaningfully evaluate most of the plays and look at alignment for every single play and write both down. It, it, it was just more of a headache than it's really worth. If you... If I get messages about it saying that they really want it back, I can make time. But right now, it just kind of seemed arbitrary. But anyway, in terms of stats for the Missouri State game, offensively, they had 66 total rushing yards at an average of 2.64 per attempt, 315 passing yards on an average of 7.9 per attempt, one touchdown passing to one passing interception, two rushing touchdowns, 43% conversion rate on third down, and one sack allowed. Yeah, so on that offensive side, just not very good rushing, got a lot of passing yards, but a little bit inefficient running the ball. But defensively, um, they had a oddly balanced game, I guess I would say is the best way to look at it. They gave up 102 rushing yards and no rushing touchdowns. 235 passing yards and one passing touchdown. They got no interceptions. They got five sacks in that game and forced three fumbles. Yeah. And let so you look at that stat line and you think, wow, that must be a quality opponent. No, that's an FCS school. Which, I'm not saying that all FCS schools are bad. However, I am saying that you are expected to put up considerably better numbers against an FCS school. But in terms of alignments, they are mostly a spread team, which is typical in the Big 12. A lot of four wide receivers, no tight ends, 10 and 11 personnel, which is one running back, one tight end. And they really enjoy that particular grouping because it allows them a lot of flexibility in the passing game and it spreads out the defense, which makes their zone running scheme infinitely easier to execute and at least in this game they ran mostly out of gun which they would motion out of a pistol set which made me sad every single time i saw it they would motion out of pistol into an offset gun look in order to run the ball but perhaps the most interesting part about this game was that they didn't have their starting quarterback for this game due to COVID concerns. Spencer Sanders was out for this game. So Shane Illingsworth, Illingworth rather, had to start this game in his stead. But we'll go into him later. So you got notes on tempo? Yeah, they, uh, they play with a faster tempo than what we've been seeing so far this year, um, which doesn't surprise me too much. Uh, none of the teams that we've played so far... Uh, play in a, in a particular hurry, especially Stanford. Uh, Stanford played a, at a glacial pace, very similar to K-State. Although we don't always take it that slow, we were more than happy to take it as slow as they wanted to when we had the lead. Yeah. So we'll have to get used to seeing them play a little bit more upbeat. Yeah. And Nevada did a little bit of that, that faster offense, but 
I'm going to be honest, at least in this game, the difference between Nevada getting in plays and Oklahoma State getting in plays, it's night and day. It, We're truly going to be stressed if we are not ready to deal with how quickly they run their offense. It's not the fastest offense I've seen. That belongs to the Scott Frost run UCF because that one was like five seconds between plays. I don't know what happened between now and Nebraska because their offense is not that fast. But anyway, they play with a lot faster tempo. And a part of using that tempo is they will do anything in their power to pick up free yards in the passing game. Screens, hitches, drags. If you play off coverage, they will take advantage and abuse you for it, which is where a lot of their passing yards came in today. And on the other hand, uh, their run blocking was uh, pretty terrible for the entire game. Uh, they get caught reaching a lot, um, and it's not very hard to uh, get them in a position where they're not squared up with the uh, defensive lineman or a blitzing linebacker. So that uh, I don't, I'm not even sure if K-State needs their run blocking to be bad because our run defense has just been so great so far this year, but it, it just makes it, makes it a little easier. Yeah. And pass blocking wasn't technically the greatest either. This was one of those situations where, strangely enough, they got by of being big in the passing game, but not really in the running game, which is one of the weirdest sentences that I've ever had to say on this show so far, other than getting bit by an owl. (laughs) But, yeah, that's there it is, I guess. Their pass blocking is, they're not technical pass blockers. Yeah, um, when they're on the field, uh, their tight end is mostly going to play uh, in a wing-slash-H alignment. That's pretty similar to what they've run historically. Oklahoma State does like to run the uh, the H-back quite a bit, uh, and they put them in the wing as well. So uh, that's that, that's pretty classic Oklahoma State. Uh, they, they, they like doing that. So yeah. I'm skipping over the running back vision point because I don't think it matters because I don't think that running back is going to be starting. Right. But all but three points were scored in the first half, as we mentioned, and it's... God, it was so boring. <laughs> I had to watch a Bobby Petrino coach team give up only three points in a second half while he's coaching an FCS team against a Division One FBS school. Do you know how painful that is? I can only imagine how painful that this was, especially just a Mike Gundy offense that you expect to be high powered and yeah and good just just <laughs> flatly good but they definitely did not show it in that first game with Missouri State yeah so moving on to the defense for this game they are I don't care what anyone says I don't care if anyone comes at me and says it's wrong because I disagree if the obviously they're a 335 team ESPN constantly has them listed as if they're a 425 team they're very simply not and if they are, it. Let me be clear. In in function, they are a four-two-five team a lot because they play with the linebacker step down. But they're still a three-three-five team because that's still a linebacker. Anyway, <laughs> they play a lot of two high coverage, but they do the most annoying thing that I've seen in a very long time evaluating film. Not a very long time. I haven't been doing this all my life, but they run this weird, like, three-high safety thing. K-State also does it, which is also why I think that that school that was rumored 
to be talked to about switching defensive schemes for K-State to a 3-3-5. I have my suspicions that it was Oklahoma State just because of how similar a lot of the alignments and looks come up with, especially some of the coverage roles. But that's neither here nor there. They play this weird, like, three-high safety look. I hate how it looks. But they will mix in single-high and no-high looks for their safeties. And seriously, what is... I don't... I'm just going to seethe for a minute while you read the next bit. Gotcha. Uh, Yeah, well, Ace is uh, dealing with the uh, the repercussions of Oklahoma State running some weird formation. Uh, they, They do run zone defense a lot more than man, but that doesn't mean that they don't run man. They'll do both. But, I don't know, I'm still more concerned with this weird formation thing they got going on. I can take the next one if you're still upset. It's also worth noting that they played a lot more zone this game. They've every single game they've played in, played they've played increasingly more man. But yeah, you can take the, the next yeah. one too. Yeah, we'll we'll give Ace a little bit more time to recover. Uh, he's a fan, or Oklahoma State, they're a fan of post snap rolls into cover three, uh, where they have one of the two high safeties playing hook. Uh, the odd third guy that they have back playing safety. <laughs> Uh, they typically have them playing middle field, uh, which I guess isn't the strangest thing. I guess if you're going to do it, you might as well have them do that. It's, but it's gross, but yeah, it, it, it's but... it's bad. But at least that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So despite playing a, a three three five, keep in mind. Let, let's just preface this now for the rest of the notes until we say in summation for every game. These these are just game notes. Uh, despite playing in a 3-3-5, they were not afraid to send the off-ball linebacker, either put him on the line or send him on a blitz of his own if they're playing in a stack alignment, which is literally just all three linebackers standing behind the defensive lineman. And that's a big part of their defensive game plan, is they're very aggressive. Yeah, and, uh, somewhat on that topic, they play with a lot of alignments in that 3-3-5. Uh, they want to try and stay flexible uh, and show the offense a lot of different looks. Like Ace mentioned earlier, a lot of times that linebacker is going to step down into what's functionally a 4-2-5, although it's not quite. But uh, the 3-3-5, they get a lot of alignment uh, variability out of that, and uh, a lot of their defense hinges on confusion and chaos, which they do pretty effectively, honestly. Yeah, almost like another defense we know very well. And like another defense we know very well, they like sending five-man pressure from literally all angles, including linebackers and defensive backs. And while it's not rare for them to send three or four, five seems to be the magic number that they liked running for this game. Because it makes sense. Five offensive linemen, five blitzers. Yeah, but eventually somebody will break through, and it clearly was working for them. They got five sacks in this game. It's pretty excellent. Uh, But... Um, when it comes to rushing, uh, something that uh, uh, to note at least is that a uh, number nine on their team. I don't know if we have a name for this guy. I was trying to look at his name, but I forgot to write it down. Nameless number nine on defense. His name is number nine. That's it. Yep. First name number, last name nine. Uh, he ran himself out of a lot of plays when he rushed, with so not very uh, assignment sound, not great at containing, uh, which. I, I love that. That's music to my ears. If I'm uh, Courtney Messingham, just have a guy overrun the play, and Deneen can pick someone else uh, to just absolutely eviscerate. So Yeah. And the force player in the run, at least in this game, they got a lot better with it as time went on. 
was really inconsistent, but the interior defensive line was insanely good this entire game, especially against the run. Yeah, that's good. Their their uh, their offensive line interior is pretty bad, but at least they counter that on the defensive side. Uh, basically, complete opposite in terms of consistency and just pure talent. But that doesn't mean that their defense was necessarily great as a whole in some respects, uh, especially in tackling. Uh, for the second half, they were very, 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 very sloppy uh, for the second half of this Missouri State game. Uh, they were especially bad with uh, tackling, which reminds me of a certain team that you may have watched a lot play last year. It starts with K and ends with Ansa State. Yeah. The pretty bad tackling last year gave up uh, several plays that should have ended a lot quicker than they did. Oklahoma State, at least for the second half, pretty reminiscent of that. Yeah. So Missouri State, I left feeling pretty good about our chances against this team. And, spoiler alert, I kind of had that same feeling against Tulsa, which is the next game on their schedule, going into their stats. Uh, offensively, they had 140 rushing yards, averaging 3.25 per carry. 173 passing yards, averaging 6.7 per attempt. Two passing touchdowns to one interception, one rushing touchdown. 40% third down conversion rate, and two sacks allowed. Yeah, nothing there really stands out other than I guess their pass yards per attempt is a little lower than it was the week prior and they're still not averaging a whole lot uh, per rush um, but yeah they just had a pretty mediocre to below average game offensively against Tulsa and a lot of that production came late anyways uh, but defensively they gave up 123 rush yards and two rushing touchdowns and 224 pass yards and uh, and no passing touchdowns. They also got no interceptions. Uh, they recorded two sacks in this game, a bit of a step back from the previous game where they had five. And then they forced three fumbles, and they somehow did not recover a single one. I don't know how you do that. You think you would just trip and fall onto one at some point if you're forcing that many fumbles, but I guess not. So. Apparently not. Yeah. Offensively, alignment did not change. They're still very much a spread team. That didn't really... And they still ran a lot out of gun. They didn't really go into their pistol sets until the Boise State game. And this was the first game that Spencer Sanders, their starting quarterback from last year, came back. And I'll take that entire brick of text there. So he's a solid... He has a solid release. It doesn't take a very long time to get it out of his hands. And he's a very, very solid horizontal passer meaning that if he has to throw the ball within 5 to 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, he will typically be very good at it. Something we haven't seen for the majority of this year, at least at the Division I FBS level, is he was very much a threat on the ground because he's surprisingly more mobile than you would think. But I don't think he's as fast as Nick Baker. I think it was for Southern Illinois. Right. But he is considerably larger. Yeah, Nick Baker is very, very tiny. He's like five foot nine, I think. Sanders is at least six one. I think he's six. Yeah, he's somewhere in there. And but I also mentioned that he is more of a horizontal passer. He has a very, very floaty deep ball. That thing hangs in the air for several seconds. And we have one corner in particular 
who I can think of that loves floaty deep balls because, no pause, because his main ability is to catch up to the receivers. His name's Justin Gardner. So if they try and throw a deep pass against Justin Gardner, the fact that it's going to stay up in the air for as long as it will, that bodes very well for us. But he does, Spencer Sanders also has a problem double clutching on certain reads and a lot of problems with ball placement vertically. And I may as well put this in all capitals. Everything in his game, everything in his game, very quickly goes to hell if he's pressured. His footwork goes to hell. He can't throw an accurate pass to save his life. And his running form somehow gets worse when he's pressured too. Yeah, and I imagine that uh, one Joe Klanderman is really licking his chops at that, uh, considering that Oklahoma State's offensive line has not exactly been impressive uh, so far this year. So collapsing the pocket quickly, I think, is not a tall order at all for this uh, defensive line. And they, they can bring some blitzes, but honestly, they should get pretty good penetration without bringing some linebackers on blitz. So uh, I, I, would, I would be pretty happy. Uh, watching some film here and knowing the uh, pass rushers I have in my arsenal. But one thing that they did a lot was uh, they used a lot of motion on this game against Tulsa. They did it both short and across the formation. Um, not much to add to that. And it's kind of similar to what K-State does. They like motioning some, but no, not, not much to add there. That's just something I like doing. Yeah. And I'll say it right now. I'll call my shot. This will be one of, not the, one of the best RPO teams that we will face this year because they are that that's Spencer Sanders's game right there is RPOs he will make one read and then just throw the ball or hand it off that's what he's best at and that's where his quicker release comes into or solid release I should say comes into effect and his horizontal accuracy as well so we need to be Everyone needs to be playing assignment sound football, especially against this team. Yep. Uh, their offensive line this game, they still still sucked at run blocking. That did not get better in the week between really, Missouri State and Tulsa. really didn't. They were, they were still bad. Um, that's that. We, we already talked about how they're not good at run blocking, so I we can move on pretty quickly from that. Yeah, and I'll actually let you take this next bit because I know that when I told you this, you... You kind of had you had a moment, I'll say. <laughs> yeah, um, one thing was that they very consistently got dominated by Tulsa's defensive line. Uh, Tulsa runs a three-three-five. Uh, their interior offensive line is bad, or the very best, not good. Um, they don't keep their heads up very well. They will leave defenders completely unblocked, even when they're obviously blitzing. They just, I'm assuming, what happens? They just get so focused in on their first assignment that they just aren't able to think creatively. And I'd imagine part of that is they don't have a guy like Tevin Jenkins there to really captain them around. So yeah. they have a, a lot of uh, experience there. Yeah, if you if you want to hear probably my favorite story from this Tulsa game, Tulsa was bringing, they were showing a five-man pressure, right, which is five people on the line. Right. They ended up sending four. The backside edge defender went completely unblocked and detonated Spencer Sanders in the backfield. That's kind of the offensive line we're dealing with. Yeah. So they on the offensive line, uh, 
Uh, one of their guards, uh, Josh Sills, number 72, uh, he's been identified as their weakest link. I think by... he also might be hurt. I, I don't know what's better. I, I don't either. That's the problem. Um, and then um, very closely behind him as being a weak link was uh, Preston Wilson, number 74. Uh, he was dominated early on in the game. And uh, that's just another... I, when I look at these guards, an interior offensive line not being great, all I can think of is Timmy Horn just eviscerating human beings in the middle of the, the defensive line. Then uh, Jack Springfield, their right tackle, number 61. Uh, he gives up inside rush very easily. He over-prepares and oversells the outside protect, so people just go inside. inside. Yeah, <laughs> just, just go inside. I mean, So I'm... This seems like something that uh, Felix Enyedike would really excel at, maybe Bronson Massey as well. Uh, so far from Nate Matlick, uh, he's had a tendency to really push the, for the outside pretty hard and just do a hard speed rush. Uh, Boom Massey and Enyedike, they're a little bit more technically sound so far than Matlick is. So they're guys that could really have a field day on uh, Mr. Springfield at right tackle. Yeah. And in the running game, their best running plays are when they – relied on, in this game, L.D. Brown's vision, and in the next game, Jalen Warren's vision, and we'll get to Jalen Warren in a minute. I'm not ready to talk about him yet. But this does not mean that they're good at running the ball. <laughs> Quite the contrary. <laughs> they're still, they still weren't a very good running team in this game, and there are several reasons for that. A lot of them are why they were a good running team against Boise State, and it's a lot to do with the team itself. But... You can take next note as well. Yeah, uh, the wide receivers, uh, they're fine with the ball in their hands. Uh, if, if they can get the ball, actually, from Spencer Sanders, who isn't the most naturally gifted passer in the world, uh, if they can get the ball, they're solid uh, with the ball in their hands. But uh, I wouldn't put them above our secondary, especially because they do not separate very well with their routes. Uh, so if they're not going to be able to separate with their route running particularly well, uh, that's not good news for them at all against our guys in the secondary. Yeah. So defensively, they still ran that obnoxiously two slash three high look from the three three five. Although they're running a lot more uh, three sif- three safeties than the week before, which is referred to as big nickel. Which typically you have three corners and two safeties. This one has three safeties and two corners, which. I imagine was to accommodate Trey Sterling, who will not be present for the K-State game, so that may not matter. But the interior defensive line, I don't think this is a controversial take. Their interior defensive line is their best unit, and it's not even remotely close. They're, they have a ridiculously high motor on every single play. They play to the snap and the whistle every play. And the number one thing they're very good at is just eating blocks. They will make you put two people on them at all times. Otherwise, they will just split the block and you're ending up with a tackle for loss. And they're also good at helping. In the pass rush, they're much better at helping the other pass rushers than they are at actually getting sacks themselves, which is almost scarier for an interior defensive lineman to have that skill. Yeah. Uh I don't love the idea of their interior D-line uh, being as good as they are after 
seeing uh, Noah Johnson really struggle at times against uh, Southern Illinois' interior defensive line. Uh, but hopefully they're able to figure some things out and scheme around that. Uh, I have faith in Connor Riley to figure that out. Uh, on the uh, opposite end of uh, being a good unit, you have their outside corners. Uh, they're very panicky uh, when they're in press coverage with their footwork. Uh, that's Jarek Bernard Converse, which is an excellent name. That's an awesome name. Yeah, <laughs> and Christian Holmes. Uh, yeah, when they get up in press coverage, they oddly for corners don't seem confident which is strange yeah Yeah, if you're gonna pick one position to be confident in other than quarterback you're going to pick corner yeah like that's part of being a corner is basically walking onto the field and thinking that you're the best player on the field even if you're not and it seems like their corners maybe know that they aren't the best on the field which is only good for our wide receivers to help give them a uh, maybe a little bit more cushion and a better shot at breaking the press. Yeah. And that they don't play press like a whole, whole lot. They normally play very far back, which can sometimes hilariously make it look like they're playing five high, which five high to me is funny. Three high is not. Anyway, I don't know why. But they will give up a lot of the Dink and Doug stuff just by their very nature of how far they play back in their entire defense. And I'll take the next one as well. The linebackers will take themselves out of the play by getting sucked into the trash, as it's called, in the run. Meaning, basically, they will over-pursue to one gap, and then it makes it very easy for the running back to just bounce to another gap. And whenever you play a 3-3-5, you, the linebackers kind of have to play a lot more gap sound because there aren't as many defensive linemen taking blocks. So... Linebackers getting sucked into the trash, that's a very good thing for K-State. Yeah, and like Ace was saying a little bit earlier, uh, they run a very conservative defense in terms of pass coverage. Uh, Their cornerback positioning, uh, they ran more man coverage uh, against uh, Tulsa. Yeah, they ran a lot more man coverage, but they still played very far off. Yeah, that that's very frustrating to hear. Like, as a fan of K-State that watched a lot of Tom Hayes' defense play really far off the ball for a very long time. So, I mean, it's great for us, but that that is very annoying as a fan to watch your corners play 10 yards off and they just run like a 7-yard out every single time. Mm-hmm. And you wonder why you're getting destroyed in the passing game. Yeah. And you can take the next one as well because I have to do my weird rant. Gotcha. Um, their tackling wasn't uh, absolutely terrible against Tulsa. It was not great. There were some times that they very obviously were looking to get big hits at, uh, rather than uh, wrapping up and just bringing their guy down, which if you're a team that isn't particularly great at tackling like Oklahoma State, you haven't really earned the right to go headhunting. So, yeah. uh, so maybe just focus on getting the guy down before uh, getting a highlight play. Yeah. So here, here's my weird rant that I really hope, I hope we take advantage of on offense. I think we can. I believe in us. But the, the slot defender, whoever's covering the slot receiver, plays like 15 yards. He basically plays another safety role. But then he immediately just starts stepping downwards 
to play that responsibility. And it doesn't matter what coverage they're in, whether it be zone or man. They immediately start stepping down, which advantage gives them a lot of leverage against the run. Disadvantage. If you run a slot fade, they're going to die. So please, that one play where Skylar Thompson checked into the slot fade against Stanford, I want to see that play again. Because I think Phillip Brooks absolutely cooks someone who just steps down and is not looking at him directly and immediately has to go into his backpedal. Please. Messing him, if you're listening to this, please. <laughs> just run a slot fade. I, I know I've been really rough on you, man, but I do like you. I think you're an okay offensive coordinator. I'm sorry for being so harsh on you. Everything will be forgiven if you run a slot fade. I will give once. I'll give you an A grade if we run a slot fade for a touchdown to Phillip Brooks. Okay. I, I can agree to that. I can agree. You don't have to. I will. No, I'll, I'll agree. I, I'm just trying to sell him on it. Like, <laughs> like I, I think he understands the value of an A grade from the Aggieville Alley Cats. So I mean, both of the both parts of our name start with A. So we obviously obviously yep. means a lot. Anyway, you can read the next one. Uh yeah. Um, sticking with the uh, the secondary, uh, they give up leverage really easily. Uh, almost surprisingly easily, which is really odd because they they they're supposed to be playing conservative. So you would think that they would be able to maintain some sort of leverage, but no, no. No, they, they will either give you the outside or the inside. They, they're not even that good at playing vertically. But, yeah, they, they're the type of defense that would get back-shouldered very, very easily. Or front-shouldered, for that matter. But this leads to the next point, which is about their pass rush. Their pass rush alongside their interior defensive line is what scares me most about this team. They're extremely creative and consistent with how they decide to send pressure. I guess if you're looking for a silver lining, the creativity can cause them to break quarterback contain sometimes, which just gives the quarterback free reign to run around. However, I still don't like how creative they could get with their blitzing. Because against Nevada, they were a team that blitzed a lot too, but they weren't the most creative with it. With... Oklahoma State, they run a lot of defensive stunts that I think I think even Cooper Beebe may struggle with. Just because you, ha- you have to be paying that much attention to how they're lining up, where they're going. They almost make you go cross-eyed with how consistently they do it. So that's a big concern for me, especially with Will Howard under center and if he gets knocked down a lot. Yep. Uh, that's... That kind of plays into uh, the next point here is uh, their third down defense uh, is actually really good, which is a bit surprising because of how many weak points that they have uh, in their uh, in their defense. But yeah, especially this game, they had excellent third down defense, uh, and a lot of that is due to their creativity and how they uh, use blitzing and stunts strategically. So that is something to look out for. Uh, in our upcoming matchup. Yeah. So the good news, uh, last note for defense, their linebackers are actually garbage in coverage. Uh, We'll go into that more against Boise State, but they were 
actually atrocious. Which I love hearing that. Uh, I'm, all I can think of is Bebe and Wheeler. Just not Lenners. Bebe not, and Wheeler. Not Lenners. <laughs> Finding their way open. Um, but yeah, now we have the Boise State game. Which, this is this is the game that scares me. Because I got a decent idea of from game one and two what Oklahoma State would be. Then this game happened, yeah. where offensively they got 246 rushing yards, averaging four and a half a carry, 90 passing yards, and an average of 6.9 yards per attempt. Nice. And no passing touchdowns, no interceptions, three rushing touchdowns, a 47% third down percentage, and two sacks allowed. Now, before we go into the defensive stats, I would like to mention that there was a point in this game, in the second half, where Spencer Sanders, I believe, was 2-for-8 with 22 yards. Do with that what you will. If you think Will Howard struggles sometimes throwing the ball... He has yet to go 2-for-8. For 22 yards in the second half. At least in a game that he started fully. So, yeah, this, at least offensively, was really the wild card game. Uh, for Oklahoma State, Just, uh, granted there are some reasons for that. Uh, like I believe their top three wide receivers were gone. Yeah, they were all injured, so they just went complete rush attack. But defensively, they allowed only 61 rushing yards, which is very good. They didn't give up a rushing touchdown. Then they had 242 pass yards allowed, uh, with one passing touchdown. Uh, they got one interception. They sacked the quarterback four times. And they forced two fumbles with one recovered. Good job finally recovering a fumble, guys. It took them three games and, like, nine forced fumbles, but they finally did it. Yeah. And offensively, there wasn't much to say. They ran a lot more out of pistol, but just take everything that we've said before and apply it to now, except for one thing. Jalen Warren, the transfer running back from, I believe it's Utah or Utah State, he's going to be a problem. He's going to be a massive problem for us because he has a few gears in terms of speed, knows how to use them, has enough strength to get through arm tackles and stiff arm people, and is fast in his own right with decent enough vision. Yeah, Jalen Warren's a very good running back, and I don't think it's controversial to say that he will be the best running back that we have seen so far and may, when it's all said and done, be the best running back that we see, aside maybe, I don't know, Bryson Corridor or whatever his name is. And Bruce Wayne at Iowa State, I've heard he's had a pretty good season so far, so he'd be pretty tough. But yeah, I Jalen Warren, with this game in particular, is, is giving me fits, because he showed that he can show out against this team. A Boise State team, which granted a few times we're not playing assignment sound football against the run, but there were a few times that they were, and still getting decimated. That's what scares me. Yeah, but luckily on the flip side of that rushing attack coin, you have Spencer Sanders having an absolutely atrocious game. Uh, he was very panicky, and against the pressure, somehow even worse than he had been before. Um, when he gets pressured, I, it, it's pretty bad. I mean, like Will Howard kind of gets panicky against pressure sometimes when he's already rattled, 
but Sanders just does it kind of unprompted, period. Yeah, so you know how Will Howard was at the second half of the Southern Illinois game? That was Spencer Sanders the entirety of this game. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Sanders, uh, even when he wasn't being pressured, though, which uh, the pressure really threw him off, uh, his accuracy was not very good this game anyways, even when he wasn't being pressured. So I'm not sure how much we can put that on the pressure. It might have been a bad single-game performance. But Sanders has been fairly inconsistent as a passer anyways in his career, so this isn't too unexpected. So Yeah, their offensive line still isn't very good. And like I said, Boise State was not the greatest in playing against the run, especially defending cutback lanes on outside zone, which they ran a lot more outside zone from pistol in this game than they did just about any other game. But defensively, they played extremely aggressively. Which is is weird to say, because we've been harping on how aggressive their defense is this entire game. This was an aggressive game even by their standards. And they still played... This was an aggressive game even in terms of coverage. Because normally they're just an aggressive blitzing team. No. They were playing aggressive coverage as well. They were playing off, but still blitzed and played a whole lot more man. They are playing progressively more man coverage each and every week. Which, on one hand, cool, that means there's probably a matchup we can exploit. On the other hand, that typically means it's it's harder to scheme things up to specifically go for it. It's just about winning matchups. Which is a little bit suspect with uh, our current wide receiver core, I will say. Uh, But surely there's something that can be done. Uh, Surely Malik Knowles, we can get him into a spot that we like. But then we... Still, we come back to their uh, defensive line, the interior defensive line. Uh, they're just excellent against the run, which is a little concerning for us. Uh, we do have a very good run blocking team, and we're just very good at running the ball uh, up the middle, anyways. So this will be that'll be the matchup to watch. I think this week is the K State a gap power running game against the uh, Oklahoma State run defense, especially in that interior defensive line. So it's really going to come down to the um, Josh Revis's, Noah Johnson's, and Ben Adler's uh, to stop Oklahoma State's uh, defensive tackles from just kind of ruining the game plan here. Uh, they played a lot more t- uh, 4-2-5, like actual 4-2-5 this week, and they did more hand-and-dirt uh, linebackers as opposed to just stepping down uh, than they had been doing previously. Yeah, which could be why they played the run much better. That might just be it. But the linebackers, let's look positively here. The linebackers are still not good in coverage because they don't get much depth. And especially number 20, don't know his name, sorry, he's a liability. He is an outright liability. He's the person that I, if I'm Will Howard or Courtney Messingham, I'm finding him on the field. I'm finding whoever his man is supposed to be. And that's, I don't care what the play is, that's my first read. Yeah, I think... This is the perfect opportunity uh, to go back to getting Deuce involved in the passing game. Uh, just motion him out and get him lined up on number 20, uh, especially since they're running more man now than they had been. Uh, although, honestly, I don't even know if it matters if they're running man or zone number 20, if he's that bad. No, he's that bad. So I just get Deuce into the slot and run that uh, that um, quick slant that he loves to run with that stutter to the outside. Uh, so... 
That, I mean, that's what I would do. I'm not an offensive coordinator, but that's what I would do. Um, yeah, get, get deuce the ball this week. That, Please. The, the passing game. Please. I think that, that may be the... The, the, the good qualifier there. That's the qualifier. Yeah, running will be a little bit more suspect. Maybe maybe a little bit more Jacardier at the middle. I would love to see that. Who's to say? Who's to say? You still got next. Oh, I do? I thought I just had I just covered linebackers. Oh, I talked about it so much I thought I said it. You're good. <laughs> the corners, they still give up leverage really easily. Um, they didn't really know when the ball was thrown. Um, we kind of complain about Julius Brents doing this occasionally, but he's still a very good corner. Uh, Oklahoma State's corners are way worse, so they don't have any justification for doing it. Um, and their short coverage, they start off really, really badly uh, on this. So their corners, still very suspect. Um, so hopefully we can finally start to get some more receivers involved. Yeah, and... A big part of the short coverage being bad was catch and run for Boise State was very important to them this game, which we have a few threats in the receiving game that are very good with run after catch, looking at you, Malik Knowles, and Daniel Matsuabebe, who absolutely murdered a man on his way to the end zone <laughs> against Nevada. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Yeah. Well, it was pretty great, but it was bad for that guy. Yeah. So... Here, here's basically what, what what we went over. Jalen Warren, good. And that's the most concerning thing for me. Jalen Warren, good. Yeah, that's the biggest thing to hit home. Uh, Spencer Sanders, um, he's good in the RPO, uh, the run pass option, and in quick passing. And that's it, really. Uh, his ball placement is very bad. And he double clutches a lot. Uh, not just when he's pressured, not just when he's nervous, he just does it all the time. Yeah. And this is not to say that, so this is basically just us covering our backs. This does not mean that he's completely incapable of throwing the deep ball because even a broken, a broken clock is right twice a day. But that, that was just me covering our backs for if he completes like a 20 yard pass. Right. So we don't, so we don't, you lied to me! Yeah, just you in case. Lied. Yeah, I, I couldn't handle the Twitter flaming that we would get. I couldn't either. We would just delete the show at that point. Yeah, but well, it was a good run. It was a good run. The offensive line is riddled by sloppy play in just about every aspect. Their footwork is very inconsistent. They play really wide with their hands as well. Their eyes are down with a lot of the plays, meaning they miss a lot of blitzes. And they are not fast at all. They are very slow and not particularly powerful. I say this watching the Boise State game where they put up 200-plus rushing yards. That was not because of the offensive line. The offensive line was just as bad as it was the other weeks. Jalen Warren was just really good, and the Boise State run defense, they would do what's side tangent, and this should have been mentioned before. They did something, their linebackers did something called backdooring, which is basically trying to go one gap to the right or left of where you're supposed to be covering in order to get a tackle for loss. Almost never worked for them. So that is also another reason why the run defense was suspect. But Jalen Warren is still very good. Yep. Um, on offense, the receivers are probably their best unit just because of their run-after-catch ability. Uh, granted, that unit is without their top three guys, at least we think so, leading into this weekend. Still not a bad unit, but miss any unit missing their top three guys is just going to take a pretty big step back. 
unless you're like Alabama or something. Yeah, in um, which case you don't you can lose everybody no. and still your second. No, you, yeah, you still got else. some. Yeah, you still have some five star guys on your scout team. And, yeah, their routes are okay and their hands are okay. Talking about the receivers, uh, nothing crazy there. They just have a lot of run after catch ability. So if they get the ball in their hands, it's, they're they're good. It's just actually getting the ball in their hands. Yeah. Moving on to the defense, their defensive philosophy is remarkably aggressive. They send heat and a lot of it from every angle, as opposed to Nevada, who would just send heat and just kind of hope for the best. This actually seems like they're sending heat with a plan. Like, they they have one guy that they want to get to the quarterback, and more often than not, that one guy is going to get to the quarterback. And their coverage philosophy has moved more towards man, especially with the Boise State game. But I would still, and at this point, it is more man than zone, at least from what I can see. I don't have all 22. Maybe someday I will. But from what I can see, that it's a lot more man than zone, but they still do play both. Yeah, that defensive philosophy about just trying to get a single guy to the quarterback, uh, it's kind of reminiscent of what uh, Joe Klanerman's been doing uh, with the blitzes here and there. Uh, another uh, feather in the cap to the uh, conspiracy theory that Oklahoma State may have supplied uh, some of the three-three-five knowledge that was attained. Who's to say? But I, don't know, I just I hear that statement and I think of that Cody Fletcher sack in the Stanford game, mm-hmm. uh, where Daniel Green uh, could have made a run at the quarterback and might have gotten there, but instead he just absolutely blew somebody up and gave Cody Fletcher a wide open lane to the quarterback where he was going to get a sack without a doubt. Yeah. So they just play really assignment sound football uh, when they're blitzing, which is a little concerning. Although we do have a at the at least a solid offensive line and pass protection, especially on the left side. So Will Howard will just have to keep an eye on the right side, which luckily should not be too difficult for him because he's looking right. that way. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, their interior defensive line, uh, still their best defensive unit, uh, very good against the run. Uh, they're not necessarily great pass rushers. Like you said, they do occasionally do a good job of, uh, doing work for other people to rush the passer, which is pretty interesting. But it's the run game where they're going to make their money. So got to keep an eye out for those guys. Yeah. Their linebackers are liabilities in coverage, but solid enough tacklers. But they are going to take themselves out of certain running plays, whether it be by backdooring or just letting themselves get sucked into the trash, which... Typically getting sucked into the trash is more a problem against zone running, so maybe chalk that up as a negative. But it can still happen against power running, which K-State loves doing. So we just got to hope the linebackers get sucked into the trash. Because if they get your hands on you, they're at least going to slow you down for someone else to come grab you. Yep, And then uh, the corners, they can and will get caught with their pants down. Uh, The safeties... Uh, like Ace was mentioning earlier, they play very, very far back, but they still manage to come back up really quickly. My question is why, I guess. Disguise a- Ace, Ace is shaking his head very Disgu- solemnly. Disguising looks, I guess. That, That's the only thing I can think of that would possibly cause them to do that. I don't know what's going on on the back end of that defense. I don't particularly care. But I'm looking at this and thinking, uh, if we ever see a game where Will Howard is going to get consistently vertical, it might be this game just because there's a non-zero chance that our receivers are going to be wide open downfield 
more than once. Like it may not be like the Daniel Matarbebe down the middle because a lot of times they're covering the middle there with uh, one of those safeties back there. But hopefully we can get Brooks or Knowles uh, streaking down the sideline, maybe Keenan Garber uh, streaking down the sideline. Keenan uh, Garber sighting. I would love a Keenan Garber sighting because my take is dying a slow and painful death that he would I, be I a I dude. I feel your pain. Yeah, I don't know what's up with Jacardier or Garber. They, they should be getting more touches probably, but it is what it is. Allegedly. We're not coaches. We don't know what we're doing. Allegedly. Any, <laughs> allegedly. We have the one guy who said that they're not convinced that we're not analysts, which, who told you? I wish we were analysts. We'd be getting paid a little better. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, their, their DBs are probably their, their weakest room. Now, here are the stories that I would watch going into this game. And to me, this is... For, for all the notes that we've given about Oklahoma State, I still don't know what to think of them. I've watched all of their games two or three times. I've watched the Boise State game four times. I don't know what to make of them. Which team are we going to get? Are we going to get the RPO teams from one and two? Are we going to get the Warren rushing attack from game three out of the pistol? The, granted, their top three receivers were out for that game, but you still don't know what you're going to get. And I... This team is an enigma to me. I don't I don't get it. I I still don't know what to think of them. This, I wrote we wrote all of this. I don't know what they are. Yeah, we've we have just gone through nearly an hour of scouting report and we still don't really know what to expect. And Ace did a ton of research. I didn't really do any, but I'm just here to say what he's got going on. But normally I watch some film. I'm just busy. Don't don't sell yourself short. You do a yeah. lot. Yeah, I do a lot. Just toot my own horn now. <laughs> There's no in between. Stop. Oh. Okay, read the next thing. <laughs> okay. But yeah, um, Ace has this in all caps. Uh, my throat still kind of hurts from the game, honestly, so I'm not yelling this. Uh, just pretend that I am, though. Uh, do not be fooled by the close scores against mediocre teams. This is a team that can and will beat us if we're not careful. Um, ditto. Because they, this team is an enigma. Uh, they played a very not good team closely, a Tulsa squad very closely, and then they beat one of the better group, perhaps the top three, four G5 squad in Boise State, at least perennially, uh, on the road by one. In one of the toughest places to play in the nation. Yeah. Uh, so who knows? <laughs> like what kind of team they are, but all I can say is they worry me enough to where I will not be comfortable until the clock hits zero with this game, or if Will Howard throws like five touchdowns, which I would <laughs> gladly take. But oh, you're not going to do the Nevada thing where you 48 hours before I'm going to start questioning where my co-host went because you started acting positive. I did. I I was kind of... I don't know why. I think I talked myself into being positive about the Nevada game because I thought about it so much that I was like, okay, their run defense is so porous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Oklahoma State's run defense is not porous. At the very least, in the uh, interior there, although the alternative of the passing game, we may finally see some uh, big Willie Howard uh, vertical passing game. Who's to say? The Yeah. And the next question is, can or how can K-State send pressure without immediately giving up the short game? Which, 
against Oklahoma State and Spencer Sanders, that is a genuine question. Because if you just send a blitz and leave one guy uncovered in the short game, Spencer Sanders will find him. If you don't send any pressure, Spencer Sanders will just find the guy anyway because he's more comfortable that way and he's more accurate without pressure. He's not Joe Burrow to where his passer rating goes up with pressure. I still don't understand how that's humanly possible, but Joe Burrow's just built different. Anyway, I it's going to be a, a balance that we need to strike. And maybe we send it by making him think there's more pressure than there actually is. So a lot of blitz bail, maybe. I don't really know. I If I'm Klanderman, I'm doing a lot of blitz bail this week. Because Sanders in the passing game, when he's pressured, is remarkably similar to Will Howard when he's rattled. So the one thing I remember specifically really messing with Howard was Blitz Bales in that Southern Illinois game. So I may be just using, I may just be extrapolating here, uh, but Will Howard, seeing him struggle with uh, the Blitz Bales when he was already rattled, Spencer, Sand- Spencer Sanders is not very hard to rattle uh, when it comes to applying pressure. So really just bringing one guy and just getting him there effectively, like just send Daniel Green and let him just eat people alive. And and then hopefully Sanders begins uh, to panic there, maybe put Fletcher on a blitz bail or vice versa with Daniel Green. Just get some semblance of pressure and send a guy back that he may not notice. Uh, since he panics so quickly. So uh, that would be the approach that I would take, at least. Yeah. But uh, speaking of Will Howard, uh, does Will Howard have a good day passing? Because we're going to have Master Bebe versus some utterly atrocious linebacker pass coverage, and Knowles versus some very below-average cornerbacks. So it's going to be a very interesting dynamic this week where our weaknesses play to their weaknesses and our strengths play to their strengths. We're playing each other. Like, I, I, I was going to save this take for the end. We're playing each other. We're, it's, in a lot of ways, Oklahoma State is K-State that runs a spread offense and RPOs. That's, defensively, we like doing the same things. We are playing each other. We're yeah. playing ourselves, which is a very strange experience, and that's why I don't know what to think about going into this game. Yeah, I didn't mean to spoil your take, but... No, no, yeah. no, I spoiled my own take. I was going to mention it earlier, but it was just a better time gotcha. to bring it up then. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of today will come down to if Howard can have a good day and an efficient day like he had against Nevada. He can't only throw the ball 10 times probably again, no, uh, unless the run day once again is a field day, which which I would be a little bit more surprised about that. Granted, they've been pretty dominant so far. They haven't really showed any signs of slowing. But if anyone's going to stop them so far, it's going to be Oklahoma State. But I don't know. Howard is having another day where he keeps the ball safe. And if he can throw a couple touchdown passes in about 200 yards and just take care of the football, and the defense can hold Spencer Sanders at arm's length, like, Howard, Howard just needs to have a good day passing the ball. That's pretty much what I'm trying to get at here. Yeah. And the next question is Can the offensive line counter the aggressive blitzing of Oklahoma State? And I believe that the Oklahoma State staff is competent. So they will probably do more blitz bail this week because they've done it a few times. But I think that the it will come to the offensive line to protect Will Howard, obviously. But it's going to be especially challenging this week 
because they're going to have to contend with a very creative blitz scheme that they may have the perfect protection dialed up. They know exactly what they're going to do. And then just the defensive end drops out of nowhere and you have a plus one rusher on the other side. Yeah. Um, offensive line has a lot riding on this game. Um, but yeah, moving on to the next point, uh, Courtney Messingham, he really needs to have a good game today, not just an average day. He really needs to call a consistently good game. We've seen him call good quarters. Like He called a very, very good quarter in the fourth quarter against Nevada. Uh, he had a very good start to the game as well, but the third quarter was not very inspiring. Uh, the second quarter uh, wasn't terrible, but it was a it was pretty conservative, although granted that was with Jaron Lewis under center, so it was a little bit odd there. But Messingham really needs to have an effective day as an offensive coordinator. He really needs to pull out some tricks and uh, do some creative stuff with the running game, get the ball maybe more to the outside uh, as opposed to testing the interior, unless they're willing to move Cooper Beebe inside for a game, which Don't I wouldn't. Don't do that. Yeah, Mess needs to have a good, not okay day calling plays. And for what it's worth, Messingham, this is your best chance to prove past me wrong because I every single game will be an opportunity to prove your doubters stupid. So please, make past me look stupid because current me is choosing to believe in you and future me hopes that's not a mistake. But anyway, maybe something that helps Messingham is Trey Starling, their, or Sterling, sorry, is their best safety, and he will not be participating in this game, which means that that opens up another lane for creative deep passing, or just deep passing in general. Yep, and uh, I, 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 I like that. Um... Sterling is, well, I don't love that he's hurt. I mean, obviously, but uh, it is advantageous for the passing game, uh, especially given uh, the big successful passing play that we had last week with uh, Amater Bebe uh, just going up the seam and just outrunning everybody after that. Um, granted, I think that they will probably see that coming this week. I would imagine that will be one of the plays that they really prepare for. We're not going to get another one of those. Um, probably, at least not up the middle. But one thing that we can do um, is uh, um, we need on defense, we need to get them behind the sticks, and we need, really need to force Spencer Sanders to throw to the intermediate and to the deep parts of the field because he's already uncomfortable. So the further we can make him throw it, the better. That's pretty simple there. Yeah. So let's go into this episode's running a bit longer than I really thought it would, but. We're getting everything we need to say, so hopefully we retain some of our audience here. That's a longer one than we've been doing normally. Yeah, I think it's because we're having to cover three games and we went in-depth with all of them. I think you're right. But anyway, projected offensive and defensive MVPs. I'll go first on the offensive side of the ball. My projected MVP is Daniel Imatsworth-Bebe. I'm hoping to finally get one right. We're not counting deuce. We, we never count Deuce, because Deuce will always be the MVP. <laughs> but Daniel and Matt's were Bebe, I think he will have a very good day, especially if he's schemed up or even is just running routes against these linebackers who either play really soft zone coverage or really bad man coverage. And I think Matt's were Bebe is athletic enough to 
post these linebackers and big enough to expose any safety that they might want to put on him. All right. Last week, I went with the man, Will Howard, as my MVP pick. And Mr. William Howard, he came through for me on Saturday. He had three touchdowns. He was efficient with the ball. He, he, he didn't turn the ball over. He kept the ball safe. And now he has a very favorable matchup with some not good corners and some pretty atrocious over the middle of the field coverage. So that's why I'm rolling two weeks in a row with one big Willie Howard, the man himself, William Howitzer. Do your worst, Oklahoma State. I I applaud your confidence and the guttural fortitude, we will call it, in order to make that pick two weeks in a row. Because I, I ended up agreeing with you on the recap. Yeah. So, I am doubling down on my man William, so I, I believe I'm a Will Howard truther until the day I die, unless he starts playing really poorly. But that won't happen. Obviously. That won't happen because it's Will Heisman season. So. Exactly. So on the defensive side of the ball, we mentioned that the offensive line is not very good, particularly the interior. Everyone saw this coming. I think Timmy Horn. I don't care if he records a stat. He will be the defensive MVP of this game because he will push people into Spencer Sanders' lap, and Spencer Sanders will get into the fetal position and start crying, saying, I don't want to play football anymore. Timmy Horn is scary. Which, he is. He's terrifying. He is scary. Yeah, he's terrifying. I mean, if you see the video of him online, like, like on, on Twitter, like there's just videos of him just going one-on-one with the center, which why would you ever do that to yeah, your don't center? Don't do that. And he just... Just goes. Like, it's like he's, like, rushing against nothing. Almost. Like, the only thing that's stopping him is, like, wind resistance. <laughs> you know those those videos that you always see in camp of defensive tackles always dominating the coaches who are just wearing, like, the, the chest pad? Yeah. Yeah, that's Timmy Horn all the time. Yeah, that's basically it. But I did not roll with Timmy Horn, although I was very tempted to, because you can make an argument for him being Defensive Player of the Week almost every single week, just because of how much havoc he creates. But I'm rolling with Daniel Green uh, as a defensive MVP. Uh, that man has just been an absolute menace uh, out there on the field this year. The defense is unbelievable when he's out there. They're already really good without him, but Daniel Green is just nuts uh, at linebacker. He's everything that we wanted him to be and more i think he's exceeded everybody's expectations out on the field and i i think he wins mvp this week i I see him having another big performance against the oklahoma state rushing attack yeah and now we get into the coveted score projections which you got very close to last week i did for about half the fourth quarter i think my score projection was holding i had 24 17 but we ended up scoring some late touchdowns to change that up. Yeah. So, I don't think this will be a particularly high-scoring game. I think the over-under, last I saw, was like 49.5. I would absolutely be taking the under there. I have optimistically a 24-17 victory for the Cats, but I was genuinely fumbling and thinking about a 14-3 victory in favor of the Cats. That is not outside the realm of possibility, and that scares me a little bit. 
but I have decided I'm not going to face my fears. And I'm going with a 31-20 victory for the KSU Cats. Uh, barely scraping the over uh, with a 51, according to my calculations, total points. But I think that Will Howard will have one or two big pass plays, and then the offense will just play efficiently the rest of the game. The defense will play well as well. They've given me no reason to believe that they won't at this point in the year. So, KSU Cats by 11. Yep. So that pretty well concludes the preview special for the K-State-Oklahoma State game from the Aggieville Alley Cats. If you want to support the show financially, we have a merch store, including the limited edition original Alley Cat t-shirt, excuse me, I fumbled over my words there, which will go out of stock on October 1st. But we also have other designs, such as Play Sandstorm Cowards, and my personal favorite, the Neon Alley Cat. If you want to follow the show or contact us, we are at Aggieville A-Cats on Twitter. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. We are AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com if you want to send us an email. If you want to follow us on a more personal level, I am at acedward 0 on Twitter. I am Connor Baltazor on Twitter, capital C and capital B. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. For it come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.